You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. When my daughter was just a little girl, a real little girl, she uh, loved McDonald's. That was her favorite place, her favorite thing. We would be driving down the highway, and my wife and I would see the golden arches off to the right, so we'd distract her to the left. (laughs) And say, look over there, look over there, because if she saw the golden arches and we passed it, she would cry. And uh, just, you know, like it was, like we were killing her. She was just, she thought it was just an awful thing that we'd have to pass one. Of course, if we went on a trip, it was crying every few miles. Uh, but, you know, it made it special for daddy-daughter dates because that's where she wanted to go all the time, and so we'd go together, and we'd get in line. And she, here's what she loved. She loved when we got in line for me to pick her up and hold her so she could look out over the counter, and she could see the people, and she could see the pictures. And one particular day, I did this. I picked her up, and I'm guessing she was about four And she was just so happy we were there, but uh, the man in the next line over lit a cigarette. Now, you realize this is a long time ago because we don't do that anymore, but in those days, he did. And the guy lit a cigarette, and she looked at him like in shock. And she said, Daddy, and of course, she said this loudly, (laughs) Daddy, that man is smoking. He won't go to heaven. Some people in the lines laughed. He was not amused. I looked at him. It was awkward. I think I said her mother. I I, I don't know what I said. It was just very awkward. You know, the sad thing is that, you know, people who smoke are still going to go to heaven. They're just going to smell like hell when they get there, right? So... So, here's the thought that I had that day. Here was my thought. At what age do we start looking at people and going, they're not going to heaven? Where is it that we learn to start seeing what other people are doing, their habits, their gray area things, and we go, well, they're wrong. Apparently, it's very young when it starts, and it continues through most of our lives. And that's the topic today. As the Apostle Paul is teaching us to love one another, he says, okay, here's how you love. And chapter 14 is all about what we just said, judging people in the gray areas. Today, we're going to look at this issue of Christian and Christian. And we're going to see how these gray areas oftentimes affect our relationships. Today, we'll look at Paul's first two illustrations on food and holidays or festivals, and then we'll see what he says about what's coming in the future. Take your Bibles, your sermon notes, and join me as we dig into God's Word and we look at chapter 14, which I'm going to say this probably again as we close, but chapter 14 is is a wonderful chapter, but I divided it into two parts because I really think it needs to be studied in more detail. So we're going to do it in two different sections. So today is part one, next week is part two, and you need both of them 
to really understand what we're talking about here. So, let's dig in. There are two thoughts that we're looking at in this series. Pastor Josh has been teaching these to you. Number one, the gospel absorbed is the gospel applied. Absorbed. Romans chapter 1 to 11 is theology. We spent a year in it. And we dug deep. And it's heavy. Hopefully we absorbed it. Now we understand it, at least to some extent. Now what do you do with it, says Paul? You know, he didn't end the book there at chapter 11, which he could have. But he says, if once you learn it, you need to live it. So this is the section that we apply. Secondly, Paul's applications might seem disorganized to you. If you just read Romans 12 to 15 by yourself without really taking time to study it, you might think, well, he's jumping all over the map. Really not. He's following a thread of how to love one another, and he does it in multiple ways. And if you follow that thread like Pastor Josh has been doing, boy, it just makes so much sense. Now, before we begin this passage of scripture, Romans 14, there's a couple things I'd like to preface it with to kind of build a backdrop for you. Number one, Romans 14 is designed to help us accept one another's differences in lifestyle choices. That's the point of the chapter. This is Christian to Christian. Today's text has nothing to do with your secular neighbor or coworker. This is not about reaching the world or what the world thinks. This is about Christian to Christian. Secondly, this is not a passage about whether Christians are allowed to sin. You know better. Those first 11 chapters helped us understand what, what sin is. In fact, Pastor Josh taught us this in uh, last week's message in Romans 13 when he talked about there are the commandments and they're still in place. They're still intact. But there's these other things. The old Mosaic law that has been fulfilled by Jesus. Or there's the traditions that we grew up with or the people of Paul's day grew up with. Or we often call them those gray areas that we just don't know. Coming to this passage, we have to understand the difference, differences between identifying sin and judging lifestyle choices. Those are two different things, and Christians get them mixed up all the time. They say, well... If that person's in sin, who am I to judge? No, if that person's in sin and you have the opportunity, you have the relationship, you need to go to them. That's not judging, that's identifying, that's recognizing. If there was a, a, a brilliant physician in our uh, church who specialized in a particular disease, and he was... He was the best in this particular disease. And, and he came to church one morning and he saw you, or me, and he looked at our eyes as he shook our hand, and he looked at our skin, and, and, and maybe some other factors, and he thought in his mind, oh my goodness, they have this fatal disease. And then he said, well, who am I to judge? Well, hope, hopefully you'd say, please judge. If you know something, help me. And that's all of you. You're all physicians in that sense. God has given you the opportunity, the ability, the responsibility to help identify sin and if you have the right relationship with a person, help them see their sin and remove themselves from it. That's not judging. Judging is when it's a lifestyle choice, a gray area, 
And by the way, gray areas change in every generation. Sin is the same in every generation. So sin has always been the same. Now let's talk a little bit about what those gray areas are. I have been a pastor. By the way, I got my first minister's license 50 years ago this month. 50 years ago. I was six years old. <laughs> Don't I wish. So, so I have been a pastor for 50 years, and I feel qualified to tell you those things I dealt with 50 years ago. And these are not all of them. These are kind of maybe a, a good sample. These are the things that I dealt with in the sense of gray areas. Smoking was a big one then. Places. I have a movie theater here because it wasn't necessarily the movie you saw. It was the fact that you were in a movie theater or that you were at a pool hall or that you were at a, uh, a bar. Now, you see, in those days, even a Christian, you couldn't even go into a bar to get something to eat because that was a real gray area. You couldn't even go into witness. You just couldn't be in the building. And then there was music. You know, I, I lived in those beginning days of rock music. And I remember that, you know, it was a gray area. You didn't listen to rock music unless nobody else was around, and then you, then you would. And, and games, all kind of games, whether it's cards or Ouija boards, the, the very game itself was wrong. Dancing, dancing was a gray area. What you did on Sundays, can you go out to eat? Can you fill your tank with gas? Can you... Do your homework. My wife told me yesterday that when, when she was little, she couldn't wash her hair. She couldn't do her homework, anything on a Sunday, because that was God's day. That was the Sabbath. But see, those were the things we dealt with. And as I look at those, that list right there on the screen, I think, do we deal with any of those today? Do you hear anybody talk about any of those? You see... Gray areas change. Sin doesn't. By the way, uh, I, I am not, you know, real probably relevant with the current generation as I, maybe I should be. So this week I called my middle school granddaughter. I talked to a high school young man. I, I talked to two people who are college students. I talked to several young adults, and I said to them, help me. What are the gray areas today? These, this was the list that they gave me. There was more, but this was the, the list. Tattoos. And some of you might say, well, weren't tattoos the issue 50 years ago too? No. No. The only people you knew with tattoos were someone who came back from the Navy and had an had a anchor on his, on his forearm or weird people. I mean, other, nobody else had tattoos. So, no, we never dealt with it. I never had parents come and say, is it okay if my kids get tattooed? Never. Never. Alcohol. That wasn't an issue then either because, again, it was just considered flat wrong. Vaping, I would not have thought of that. Here's the one that maybe bothers me the most right now. Online gambling, uh, you know, it just amazes me. We watch the playoffs, and, and right before you get to bet, and you pull up your phone and you bet, and, and I have dealt with so many people over the years who have lost everything or who have ruined their families because of gambling that this one really bothers me a lot. Uh, I... But it's not sin. I mean, I can't show you a verse in Scripture that says don't gamble or anything like that. What about using four-letter words? Gray area. What about social media? Gray area. 
And, and so we want to be really careful in these things. Now, before I go on, I'm just going to put the word please on the front and just say please, please, please. If you're a middle school student, if you're a high school student, whatever, you're still living at home today, please don't go home and tell your parents, Pastor Denny said I can get a tattoo. <laughs> I did not say any such thing. I say that these things are gray areas that every family, every individual has to choose for themselves. And you're going to see next week, if you hold on, that there is one really good reason why you might not do some of these things. And by the way, many of these things can lead down to a very, downhill to a very dangerous place. So, so keep those things in mind, but we'll talk more about that next week. Now, no matter what choices another Christian makes, if you believe something is wrong, if you think it's wrong for you to get a tattoo, don't get a tattoo. If you believe it's wrong in your heart for you, it is wrong for you. This is the text next week. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So you think it's wrong for you, then it is sin for you. Don't do it. Don't let people talk you into it. Oh, you ought to get a little tattoo to kind of go along with all the rest of us. Don't do it. Not if it's wrong in your mind. Now, let's move on. This is the first text that I want to read to you. It's the first four verses of Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. They're not weak because they're eating vegetables. They're weak because they have chosen not to eat meat, spiritual reasons. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So the first issue that Paul deals with is food, and I put in parentheses drink, and you say you don't see any drink there, I understand, but it's in next week's section. So it's part of this whole passage is also the issue of alcohol. So the subject of Romans 14 is the weaker brother or sister in Christ. And I want you to be very careful here because who the weaker one is may really surprise you. In fact, many of us would get this wrong on a test. The definition of the weak is the person who has trouble accepting another who expresses freedom in gray areas. For instance, you invite me over to your home to watch the Super Bowl next week, and right before the game, up comes the online betting advertisement, and you pull out your phone, and you begin to place your bet, and I struggle with that. Who's the weak one? Me. I'm the weaker brother. Now, you see, you might think, well, the one who chooses not to do that, he's the stronger. No, no, he's the weaker brother. Secondly, we're not to invite a weaker brother into a conversation to quarrel or to convince, but to love. The very first verse. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. You don't have to prove you're right. You have a tattoo. You drink wine. You don't have to prove that it's right. You don't have to show them verses of Scripture and say, see, it's okay. No, no. It just, just love him or her. You don't, you don't have to always be the one who's right. Thirdly, the first illustration that Paul uses is the one of meat. This meat is offered in 
the markets of Rome in that day. Now, we don't deal with exactly the same thing. Here's what used to happen. Butchers would take and butcher, of course, the beef, and then he would take, let's say, the filet mignon. And he'd take the filet mignon over to the temple, maybe uh, to the Acropolis there, and, and he would offer this meat, these filet mignons, to this god. And then he'd pick up the filet mignon, you'd offer the best because you know the idol is dead. He's not going to eat anything. So you just pick the filet mignons up and you take them back to the meat market and you say, now these have been offered to the god Zeus. They say it made them more expensive. It was just a way to make a few more bucks. But you see, there were a group of Christian people who say, well, if you've offered them to an idol, I'm not touching them. Well, see, that, that's the issue. The weaker Christians chose not to eat this meat. The stronger one said, we don't care if you offered it to an idol or who you offered it to, because there is no God except for the true God. So they'd go ahead and eat. The weaker one is the one who didn't eat the meat. Whatever you choose in any area of life or lifestyle choices, you should accept the person who chooses differently. You must not pass judgment. If God has accepted the, the one who chooses to abstain, you should, you, you should not judge that person. The way I wrote this, I realized after it already was printed, it sounds like if God judges the one who chooses to abstain, you should too. It sounds like you should judge him too. And I don't mean that. I mean you should not judge. You should accept that person. So if you are one who chooses to do or not do, you respect one another. Every Christian is God's servant, not your servant. Each person is accountable only to the Lord, and the Lord will uphold him or her. Now, let's say you're an older Christian and you led someone else to faith. And this younger Christian you led to faith, maybe you've discipled them. And, and in a sense, you kind of feel maybe like you're their master. You're not. Get over that. I, I'm the pastor, one of the pastors here. I, I'm not your master. You see, this passage tells you that every person is a servant of another. He's got his own master. And who is that master? The Lord. So everyone is a servant of the Lord, not your servant. Second section. This is about holidays, festivals. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. Now, what's the point here? The point here is that some people struggle with holidays. By, by the way, people still do today. It's just a different way that they struggle. Some people say, I, I'm not celebrating Christmas because it's a pagan holiday and we're not going to celebrate it in our home. Good, good for you. Uh, you're right. Uh, many of our holidays are based in pagan traditions. No question. But don't you judge the person who chooses to celebrate Christmas. And, and those of you who celebrate, don't you judge those who don't. It's everybody's choice. 
Second illustration is a matter of weakness is the celebration of the weekly Sabbath or the Jewish holidays. And one person thinks, man, you still have to keep them even though Christ died and rose again. And the next person says, no, you don't. One person is convinced that the only day of worship is Saturday. You can only go to church on Saturday, even as a Christian. The next person believes every day is the Lord's day. I could go to church on Tuesday or Thursday if I needed to. This is your choice. By the way, I want to read this to you. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. You make that choice as a family or as an individual how important the holidays are to you. And it's nobody else's business. I, over the years I've been here, I've had multiple times, I don't know how many times, where we've had groups of particularly men who will come to the church on Saturday night for our Saturday night worship service, and then they'll want to meet me afterwards. And they are from a denomination, a group, uh, that many of you know who only will worship on Saturdays. I won't even name the group. You know who it is. So I've gone through this multiple times. And afterwards, they go to my office, and they tell me why we should only worship on Saturday. And I tell them why I believe Christians can worship on Sunday. And neither, neither group, neither of us budges an inch because everybody is fully convinced in their own mind, right? The last time this happened to me, just a couple years ago, three men came, they, after service, came up and commended me for the fact that we have a Saturday night service. You know, good job for you, but it's too bad you have a Sunday service. <laughs> and they wanted to go talk, so we went to my office, and I sat and listened to them again, and I thought, I'm not doing this again. And I just said, let's, let's turn to Romans 14. And I read them this verse. And I said, you think you should worship on Saturday. I think you can worship on Saturday or Sunday or Tuesday. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. I was happy. They were not. <laughs> but I was happy because I thought, that's what Paul said. How can it be any more clear? A person who eats or drinks anything or worships on any day does so to honor the Lord. If you're a true believer... And you eat or drink whatever you want, and you worship on any day that you want, you're honoring God. And if you are a true believer, and you don't eat or drink particular things, or you don't kind of feel comfortable worshiping on any day but Sunday, good for you. Either way, you're honoring God. What you need to do is honor God, one another. Each of us makes a personal decision. Again, don't go against your conscience. If you think, boy, in my heart, I can only worship on Sunday, then please worship on Sunday. Don't go against your conscience. You're free to do what you want to do. In fact, this is why Christ died, says Paul. That was the last part that I read to you. Christ died for your freedom, so you can make choices in gray areas. We belong to the Lord. For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The last section talks about the future. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will, be, will give an account of himself to God. Paul says when we talk about eating meat, drinking wine, Observing, observing a holiday, just, just keep one thing in mind. Someday, we're all going to stand before God. So he concludes, which Paul often does this. He teaches you something, and then he asks you questions. We've been through this multiple times. And he makes you 
process. This is his way to apply. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise? Believers have choices. They have the right to choose, and you have no right to judge. Secondly, God is the only one who has the right to judge, and he will do so according to his word. I think this is fascinating, but, you know, Paul is dictating this letter. We know that from Romans 16. We'll get there in a couple months, but he's dictating this letter. And as he's dictating, do you realize he wants to quote Isaiah 40, 45, 23, right here? And, and show, you know what he did? He pulled out his iPhone and did his little mobile Bible. No, he didn't, right? And he didn't have a bound Bible. That was 1,600 years later. He didn't have the scroll of Isaiah. They're in the synagogue. How do you know this? It's in his heart. This is memorized. This tells you the value of knowing Scripture. And so he's writing to us, and he says, For we all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written. And then he quotes it. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. Bottom line. And as I told you, next week we're going to continue this thought because this takes kind of another turn it doesn't change what we've learned, but it gives you some more things to consider. So I encourage you to read ahead, think ahead, and be here next week to study. But what would you do this week? Well, my, my suggestion to you is just twofold, simply this. Listen to your conscience. Don't let someone talk you into something that you think is wrong. If you think it's wrong, it's wrong for you. Don't do it. Just don't. And secondly, when you see another Christian do the thing that you think is wrong for you, don't judge them. In fact, pray for them. God, thank you for the freedom you've given them. And that way you won't be quite as weak in that particular area of faith. Okay, we've studied 12 verses. I think we ought to read them one more time. I'm going to ask for your help. We haven't done this in a long time. I'd like to read this responsively. It's on the back of your sermon notes. It's going to be in the screen. And for those of you who have a brand new ESV Bible, maybe turn to Romans 14 if you haven't already and read from your Bible. So I'm going to read the odd number verses. You read the even number verses. And we'll honor God by reading his word together. Will you stand with me and we'll remain standing for our time of worship. This is Romans 14, 1 to 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. 
For to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen.